will turn in a copy of God's words of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We are continuing our series uh, on 1 Peter, a wonderful book. Uh, we're going to back up and, and read a few verses that we looked at last week from the perspective of the Word of God and the Gideons being here, but there's, there's plenty of meat left on that bone, and we're going to um, keep going into chapter 2. So I'm going to reading, be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, through chapter 2, verse 3. But before we do, let's, let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing. Father, we thank you that your word is living and abiding. And Lord, that it holds the good news to us of how we might be saved, of how our souls might be purified and cleansed. Lord, as we come this morning, I pray that you would um, help the preacher and hearer alike by the anointing of your spirit, that we might see our sin, we might repent, Father, we might um, enjoy the assurance of pardon, that we might um, be drawn closer to you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For... All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word, excuse me, this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, therefore, so, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Have you ever thought about the connection between your own personal private time in God's word on a regular daily basis and how well you love people? Have you ever made that connection in your life? We We are called to do both. To daily walk with the Lord in His Word and in prayer. And we are, from this text and others, called to earnestly love each other from a sincere and pure heart. Oftentimes when we think of our personal devotions, we often think they don't affect other people. We go into our prayer closet and think the the effect of that has no bearing outside of that door. This is a particularly American idea that we can live in independence in what we do or think or imagine or feel, that it it doesn't affect other people. But the reality is very much the opposite. You know, there isn't a single area in our life that we are not called into some sort of relationship. Uh, We see it in homes. Many of us are married and or have children. We have relationships at work or where we play at the gym or um, shooting range or the golf course. We're we're called into relationships all sorts of places. And our relationship and how we're doing with the Lord is going to dictate how we relate to others. The condition of our souls is changed by our time with the Lord Jesus Christ in His Word and in prayer and with the fellowship of the saints. 
And as our hearts are changed, it is only then that we are able to truly love one another. There is a very intimate connection between our personal private devotions and how well we love other people. This morning, our text is especially concerned about the church. We know this because this word that is used, brotherly love, it is referring to the love for the brothers and sisters in the local church. We are a different people than we used to be, right? We are changed. The church is a community of those who have been transformed from who they were to something new, a new creation, having been born again, cleansed with the the, the blood of Jesus. Every organization involves sin and sinners because that's all you get in this world, sinners. And the same is true in the church. But there's meant to be a difference in that we have been transformed. And and Lord willing, we are each individually walking with Jesus every day. And so not only have we been transformed once, but we are being transformed on a daily basis that we might walk in love with each other. In light of having been made new, our relationships are called to be different within the church, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. The sin that normally governs our relationships, these things have been done away with by Jesus. And we are called to love each other with a sincere brotherly love. God calls us to put off the old and to love each other more and better. And how in the world do we do this? Because if you're like me, You fail all the time at this. I know I do. How in the world are we going to live this way? Loving each other with a sincere and pure love from a a sincere heart with earnestness. Well, I can't do it. The Lord must do it through me. He must continue to change me. And how are we primarily changed? We are primarily changed through the preaching and reading of God's word. Therefore, there's an intimate connection between what happens with that cup of coffee on the back porch in the mornings and how we relate with each other throughout the day. So this morning we see that since we've been changed by God, we are called to live like changed people, especially in the context of the church. And we do this as we rely on the Lord through his word. Well, we are changed people. And the fact that, uh, that we have been changed means that there, there's something that needed to be changed. It's a lie of the world that says, I'm just, the fi- I'm just fine the way that I am, and, and you just have to take me however I am. That's a very common lie of the world. But the reality is that each and every one of us needs to be changed. We have something in our lives that needs to be changed. I don't know about you, but I'm not okay with going to hell. And this is my default destination apart from Christ changing me. And praise the Lord, He, by His grace, by His mercy, by nothing that I have done, by no, nothing that I have ever merited, I haven't done enough good works, I haven't loved Him well enough, He has come in and He has transformed me and made me new. And you as well, if you are a believer. See, we are, apart from Christ, tainted, impure. We are tainted by sin And apart from Christ showing us our need, showing us those stains, then we will never turn to Him. 
This is a, a great way, by the way, to pray for unbelievers. Lord, show them the stains that are on their, on their souls from sin. They might see their need for Jesus. We have this initial need of change, which we call conversion or salvation. But we also need an ongoing change in our lives. Once we come believers, we still need to be molded and shaped daily into the image of Christ, putting off the old man and putting on the new. I've been a believer for 28 years, and in those 28 years I find that I am daily having to fight sin more and more, not less and less. Because the Lord shows me more and more of my sin that He might deal with it. And I find that battle is more ruthless each and every day. And like the old Puritan said, we are either killing sin or it is killing us. There is no middle ground. Well, something has happened to us in this conversion. And this text puts it in two ways. The first is that we have been purified, verse 22a. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Impurity is what defined our souls before. But now in obedience to the truth, as the Spirit works in our hearts, as we submit ourselves to Christ and to His salvation, then something has happened to us. The Lord has purified our hearts and our souls. You know, some stains are harder to get out than others. Ask my bride. She is constantly trying to get stains, not so much out of Thomas's clothes, but out of mine. Uh, and I remember about five years ago, I was, I was preaching at my last church, and about five minutes before the service started, I looked down, and my beloved fountain pen, which I kept right here tucked in my shirt, had emptied itself all over my white polo. I didn't know that pen had that much ink in it. I mean, it was just everywhere. There, there's not enough Clorox in this world to get that much ink out of a white shirt. But you know, there's nothing that can cleanse our souls, purify our hearts, except for the blood of Jesus. We can scrub away. We can scrub away with our guilty consciences by trying to, to run hard in this life and, and staying busy so we don't have to pay attention. We can, we can scrub away at our, our, our sin-tainted heart, stained by our sin, by trying to do good works to make up for them. But none of these things work. The only thing that works is the precious blood of Jesus. For if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only has that happened to us, though, not only have we been purified for our sins, praise the Lord, we have also been born again, verse 23. Since you've been born again, not of, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, the living and abiding Word of God. Not only were we stained before our salvation, we were spiritually dead. We needed new life. We needed to be breathed into by the Holy Spirit. We needed new hearts. We needed ultimately to be born again. You know, we throw that word born again around a lot. They like to use it a lot on the media, um, talking about a voting block, born again Christians. What, is, what does it mean to be born again? It means being given a new heart. 
It means that we are changed in our desires, our affections, our eternal destination and nature. Before we only desired that which was evil, we're drawn to that which was perverse. Our destination was hell and we were, according to Ephesians 2, nature by nature children of wrath, unable to please God or to satisfy His justice. But now that the Holy Spirit has invaded our hearts, we find that we love God most of the time instead of hating Him. We yearn to know Jesus better most of the time because of His great sacrifice. And by faith we can live lives, holy lives that can please Him. No one can credit themselves for their own physical birth, nor can they claim credit for being spiritually born again. It is a gift of God. In essence, we have been changed. No longer does sin run our lives. No longer are we in bondage to our sinful desires. We have been set free. Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set you free. Therefore, do not resubmit yourself to the yoke of slavery. And as the church of God, the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, we are a community of transformed people. God did not just transform me. He did not just purify my soul. He did not just make me born again. He also did it to all of you who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a community of those who have been transformed, our relationships are meant to be transformed. We might have different backgrounds, we might have different upbringings, our skin might look different, our languages might even be different. We might not pursue the same hobbies and we may even vote for different people, but we are united together in Christ and we share together in His death and resurrection. We are a family. Brothers and sisters that are united in something stronger and more meaningful even than your familial blood that you share with your parents It is the blood of Jesus Christ that unites us together and makes us family. Therefore, there should be a difference in how we interact. As we think about the things in this world that change our behavior and how the world looks at us, we think of milestones. Certainly, high school graduation changes everything. If you went to college, graduating college changes everything. You turn 16 and suddenly you can drive freedom. Or you get your first job, and that's freedom for your parents. Or when you retire, a huge adjustment to life. Or you have kids. Man, no one can tell you how much having kids changes your life. Um, And yet all these things pale in comparison to how much our lives and our eternal destinies have been changed by what Christ has done for us. And therefore we live lives differently because we drive and we're tired and have kids. Certainly we ought to live differently because we've been transformed by the grace of our Father. And so in our text this morning, in in chapter 2, he makes a transition, this word so. In looking back at all that has been said already throughout chapter 1 about having been born again, the love that the Father shows to us, the sacrifice of Christ, in light of all of these things, so... We find these two charges, to put away these things which are enemies of love and to put on love for each other. The first is that we see that we are to have brotherly love for each other. As we scoot back to 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 
This text seems to indicate that one of the reasons we were saved was that so that we could have brotherly love one for the other. And there are these two modifiers, sincere and pure, along with earnest. The Greek word here for sincere is an antonym of a word we find in two one hypocrisy. It's the same word with the prefix attached to the front, and it means the opposite of hypocrisy. Our love for each other is not meant to be hypocritical, is meant to be unfeigned and undisguised, not put on, not faked. We aren't called just to put up with each other or to humor each other, but to pursue each other, not just liking, but loving to put the concerns of others before our own, to seek welfare of others, to lay down our lives for each other, to sacrifice for each other, to serve each other. But you know, I think in the South, we are really good at faking love, aren't we? You know, when we use that phrase, bless his heart, we really don't mean it, do we? It means all that, that guy's being foolish, or I can't believe he did that, or he doesn't know any better. We're not talking about a saccharine kind of love, a fake kind of love. We're talking about a sincere and genuine kind of love. And not only that, it's meant to be pure, untainted by ulterior motives. True love does not seek to control through love or manipulate for our own purposes, but only has the welfare and good of the other in mind. What is the model for this sincere and pure love, this earnest love? Certainly, it is Jesus There's no purer love than the love of Jesus that he has for us. So we especially think about the objects of his love. Wretches like you and me who deserve hell. You know, it's interesting. As I think about those whom I love the most, hopefully I would say it's Jesus. But as I was putting Thomas down last night, my soul just welled up with, with love for him. Certainly you know that feeling and... And I love my, my, my children and I love my spouse. And... But you think about whom Jesus loved. Enemies. Those who were running away from him. Those who were in rebellion against him. This is, this is what sincere and pure love looks like. And as a church, we have been changed by God, purified and born again. And as recipients of God's sincere and pure love, we are to be a community in which we earnestly not reservedly, earnestly love each other. We are to be a community of love, not just in word, but also in deed. There are sinners both outside and inside these walls, but we are family. Well, that's the put on. We are called to put on love for each other. We all have to repent of how we don't do that well. We are also called to put off something, and that we find in 2.1. We see these, this list of five, what I would call, enemies of love. So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Um, you know, we've all known families, hopefully it's not yours, that have been defined by these five actions, emotions, attitudes. And it's ugly, isn't it? And what begins is something seemingly small, uh, a small crack in that relationship over years turns into a great chasm that can eventually only be healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is within the church as well. 
These things are enemies of the earnest, sincere, and pure love that we are to have one for each other. The first is malice, and malice refers to a general ill will towards others that often delights or has the design to inflict pain or harm. You know, one convicting question to reveal this in our own hearts would be, if someone mentions someone's name to you, what are your first thoughts? Is it of ill will? Or is it love? That's a tough one, isn't it? The second, deceit and hypocrisy, these are very closely tied to each other. When we act like hypocrites, we are pretending to be holy in order to cover up our real sinful behavior. It's a theater term. In, in the Greek theater, uh, the same actors would play different characters, and so they would wear different masks. And that's what we do when we are hypocrites. We are putting on different masks. So sometimes we do that, do that as well in our relationships. Deceit's related because it is the action of trying to deceive people into thinking that you are something other than who you really are. Hypocrisy and deceit are enemies of love. Why? Because love is based on the truth. The truth is what undergirds real love, not lies. The third here, envy. Peter exhorts us to put away all envy as well. Envy is the feeling or emotion or attitude when we want something that someone else has and often leads us to begrudge what they have. We, we can envy a lot of things or covet the stronger cousin of it. We can envy or covet someone's looks, talents, possessions, families, lot in life, much more. Why is envy an enemy of love? Have you ever been to a, um, uh, an award ceremony or a championship game? And what's the response? Or the Academy Awards? Don't you just know the folks who didn't win the awards are just so happy that someone else got it, right? Or the awards program in high school. Envy is what the feeling in us when someone else gets what we want and we're not happy. Instead of rejoicing with them that the Lord has given them this honor or given them this talent or skill or family or, or, or great relationship or possessions or calling in life, envy is begrudging that person what they have and not rejoicing with them. Slander, uh, for James 4.11 uses the same word uh, translated a little differently. It says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. This word slander in the Greek, uh, it, it certainly includes what we mean by slander, speaking ill of others with a design to hurt or to injure. But it is more than that. It is, I think we could better translate it as hostile speech. Any hostile speech either behind or to someone. As we think back to our childhood, certainly we can think of interactions with our siblings in which we used hostile speech. You know, we had all sorts of excuses in those moments, didn't we? He stole that. Did you see what he did? As we look back, are those the things that we're proud of? Of course not. Because they are enemies to family love. And we are the family of Christ. Well, How in the world? This is a, a steep charge. How in the world can we live like this? Certainly it is a daily fight to put to death those, those, those sinful attitudes of the flesh that we fight daily. 
And you know what? We repent and we're, we do well and then we wake up in the morning and it's, man, those feelings are just back right there the same and so you repent and you do it again that day. But how do we do it? Verse 2 tells us. Like newborn infants long, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation. This isn't saying that you should read the Bible so you can be saved. That's not what it means. But to grow up to salvation means spiritual maturity. Now elsewhere in Scripture we, we see this metaphor, the same metaphor, to say that they're drinking milk when they should be on solid food. Speaking of the immaturity of the folks they rec- who have received the letter. That's not what's going on here. He's using the same elements but to say something else. He's, he's going back to being born again, to being born again, babes in Christ. And just like babes cry out for their milk, so we are to cry out for true spiritual milk of the Lord. Do you remember when you had youngins in your family at home? Did they politely cry out for the milk when they were hungry? No, they cried as if their very lives depended on it. And certainly our spiritual lives do. The spirit, true spiritual milk of the Word, this is how He grows us. See, the Spirit uses the Word of God to invade our hearts and to change us from the inside out. Do you have patterns of, uh, in your own life of anger, malice, deceit, slander, hypocrisy, and I think there's one more, envy maybe? Do you, do you have these things in your own life? How, how can they change? By that daily time in God's Word. Daily, because we need it daily. We have been initially changed by the Lord and purified. We have been called to be actively involved now in the purifying of our lives from all presence of evil and sin in them. None of it is to be allowed to thrive in our life. For it negatively impacts not only our walk with the Lord, but our walk with each other. It's just like if your finger is hurt and it is throbbing, it affects your whole body. Or a small cancer cell will completely ruin the body. And so sin in our lives will ruin our relationship with the Lord. It will mar it. I won't say ruin it. It won't take it away. But it will certainly mar our relationship with the rest of the body of Christ, that is the church. So I must ask you, how is your daily walk with the Lord? For it is by the preached and read word that, that the Holy Spirit changes us little bit by little bit and better enables us to earnestly love each other with a sincere and pure heart. Our text ends with a warning, verse 3. If, conditional here, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. Ultimately, it's talking about salvation. There were undoubtedly those in the churches to which Peter was writing that weren't truly saved. Being in a garage doesn't make you a car. Being in church doesn't make you a believer. It's about a relationship with Jesus And so the question is, have you this morning tasted the goodness and kindness of God and His salvation for you? He offers Himself freely to you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the kindness that You have shown us. When we all we had towards You was malice and ill will, seeking to deceive ourselves and deceive You, Lord, we thank You that we were not successful that you, by your Spirit, have purified our hearts and made us born again. Out of those things, Lord, help us to love each other, 
with a deep and sacrificial love as we think about your love for us. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.